Thank you, Lord God, that you are still at work. Thank you, God, that you are worthy of praise. We, we come before you right now with a thankful heart, recognizing who you are, and just for a moment, together, standing in awe of your presence. You are God. You are our God. And we know that you love us, and you care for us in the big events of life and even in the smallest little things. We thank you, God, for memories. We thank you for the road that we have traveled and that we can look back and see your direction in our lives. God, we're thankful for moments when we can be together and, and like the Monday Bible study and the, the Wednesday prayer group and the, the Sunday school, Lord, times when Christians can come together and be reminded of you. Lord, we are in a time of what seems to be everything upside down, and yet you are constant. We pray, Lord, we bring before you the events that are around us. We think about uh, the election that is very near. We pray for the candidates, that they would seek you. We ask for wisdom for our leaders in the White House, in the Congress, in the Supreme Court. God, so many things happening all around us with the, the Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings and Lord, with, the, with COVID-19, um, you know, rates going up around us. And, and God, with the election, the, it's like a fever pitch around us. God, with, with all of the, the, the protests that are going on and, and all of that, Lord, it is a lot. But God, I pray specifically for so many of us who are struggling to find some kind of equilibrium in the storm. There are many people around us who are suffering from anxiety and depression far worse than they've ever experienced probably in their lives. Many people who are struggling. God, we need your intervention. We pray for those who are going through difficult times. This has been so stressful on marriages, Lord. Marriage is difficult when things are going normal. But when everything seems unsteady, marriage can be very difficult. We pray specifically, Lord, for those couples who are in a time of testing, a time of stress, a time of fatigue. Lord, may husbands and wives come back together with you at the center. Lord, we pray for those around us that have COVID-19 right now, and there are those in our church who do right now. I ask, Lord, that you would heal their bodies, strengthen them. May they come through this stronger. And Lord, I guess that's my prayer for all of us, for this entire situation. 
May this church come through this time stronger. It's so hard in the middle of the storm to see what things are going to look like when the waters are calm again. Help us see you that we might once again see a time of peace. We love you, Lord God. Give us the strength to be the men and women that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've said this once today, but I'd like to say it again. I'm so thankful for what happened last week. In the middle of all of this crazy, in the middle of all of this stress, at the end of a very long board meeting, I asked the Board of Trustees, the very last item on the agenda, if anyone would be willing to take care of the service in our absence. And the board members sort of looked at each other and everybody kind of slumped. Just another thing to do. Just another stressful thing to do. And yet, God, I think, spoke in that moment and gave the strength. And I'm appreciative to God and, of course, to you for allowing us the chance to get away. Thank you. It really did mean a great deal to us as pastors. We have been tired and weary, just like you, just like all of us through this time. We felt appreciated last Sunday. Thank you. Well, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. If you brought your Bible with or you have it on your phone. We have been diligently working our way through the Gospel of Luke. Two Sundays ago, we learned that Jesus sent out 72 of his followers to go and show and tell people about the kingdom of God. We are challenged to do the same, to go, show, and tell. And I told you two weeks ago that this passage had too much in it to get through in just one sermon. So today we're going to pick up the story of the 72. But first, let's pray. God, as we open your word, it is with expectation. And we can't do this without you, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you because we're not smart enough. We, we don't have what we need to have apart from you to understand your word. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here, that your presence would be thick in this place, and that you would use your word to speak to our hearts. That's what we want, Lord. We want to hear from you. Amen. Well, we're going to begin our study today by rereading what we studied two weeks ago, just to catch you up, because it has been a couple weeks. So, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. 
He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So that was two weeks ago. You know, it would be really interesting to hear about the exploits of those 72. I, I wonder, what miracles did they perform in the name of Jesus? How, what was their preaching like? How, what was their style? How did they go about spreading the good news of the kingdom to those towns that they were sent to? We don't know. We really don't know. In fact, nothing really in detail, is told us about what those 72 did. So let's look at the very next verse. Now, if you can help it, and you've got your own Bible, I don't want you to read ahead, okay? So just read this one verse. Don't read ahead, because it'll, it'll make sense when we do it. But look at the next verse. So Jesus, Jesus says the stuff he just said that I just read you, and then the next verse is verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Okay, so it's important to note that a fairly significant amount of time must be between verses 16 and 17. Do you see that? So what happened was Jesus commissioned and sent the 72. He said, go, and whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. And if they reject me, they reject the Father, right? He just said that, and then he said, go, and then the next verse, they've already gone and returned. You see that? So it's just important that you understand what's happening here. So, I mean, days, weeks must have gone by between these two verses. Okay, so they went out. They, they spread the good news of the kingdom. They, they, they go, show, and tell. They showed, and they told. And then they came back. So they returned to Jesus. And when they returned, they returned with Joy. Joy. Why were the 72 filled with joy? Well, what does verse 17 say? The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were filled with joy 
because the demons submitted to them in the name of Jesus. Now, I want you to really consider this idea before we move on. The 72 were given the ministry task by Jesus to go, show, and tell. They were to go into the towns, show the power of Jesus by healing the sick, and tell about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And then they they did their task. And apparently, they were successful, even though we don't have the details. They were so successful that they returned with joy because even the demons submitted to them in the name of Jesus. Now, just a little note, Jesus didn't say, cast demons out of people. All he said was, heal them, right? But not only did they heal them, they also were able to cast demons out. They had the power of Jesus, the power of the kingdom of God. The, the explosiveness of the kingdom of God was with them. And they were joyful. I mean, that's exciting, right? They did their task. They were successful. And the demons even submitted to them. Mission accomplished, Right? Hooray! The kingdom of God has been preached. The heroes have returned. It was such a success. So let me ask you, what would you expect Jesus would say next to these 72 when they return? Now just think about that. I really want you to think about it. What do you think Jesus would say? What do you expect Jesus to say next? I mean, it sounds to me like Jesus would say, Wow, great job. Atta boy. Atta girl. Right? Way to go. You, you did what I asked you to do and, and you were really successful. I'm so proud of you. I knew you could do it. Don't you expect Jesus to say that? <laughs> Let's look at what Jesus actually said. Now remember, remember, that's what you think Jesus would have said. Now look at what he actually said. Verse 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's not what I expected Jesus to say. As we've often seen in Luke, Jesus does not respond in the way we would normally expect, does he? And, well, verse 18 is particularly strange. Look at verse 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That That is a very strange response, is it not? I mean, think... Think again about what happened. Jesus commissioned the 72 to go show and tell. They go and they show and they tell and they they do it with power and they're super excited. They come back and they're like, yes, Jesus, we did it. We did it, yes. Even the demons submit to us. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. If you were a disciple, at some point you got to go, I never know what this guy's going to (laughs) say. What is this guy up to? What does this mean? Well, that's a fair question. What does that mean? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This next little part of my sermon is probably going to be unsatisfying to you. Because I'm going to tell you the three possibilities of what this means, and then I'm going to tell you I don't know which one's right. Okay? So just hang in there. So what does this mean? 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Well, here's the first possibility. Some believe that Jesus is referencing an event that occurred long before this moment, perhaps even before humans were created, when Jesus was in heaven. Now, this is a possibility, and I've even heard Christians from time to time use this verse to make that point. They kind of, the kind, this kind of talk usually comes up when Christians are trying to explain how Satan fits into the overall timeline of the universe. Have you ever had a conversation like that? Well, where does Satan fit in? When was he created? Was it before or after? How does this all work? Well, he was already there in the garden, and so people have this conversation, right? You've had this conversation? And so they pull this verse right out of context, okay, and they, and they look at it and they say, look, Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven, and that happened before the creation of the world. Hmm. Is there something called context that we really need to be paying attention to occasionally? The answer to that is yes. You're supposed to say yes. Context matters. All right? So remember, this is the first thing that Jesus says to the 72 after they return from their mission with joy. So let me ask you, what would be the reason for Jesus to say this to them at that point? I mean, this seems odd. If Jesus is saying... I saw Satan before humans were created fall from heaven, okay? Why would he say that to the 72 when they just said they're excited because they did their mission and demons were submitting to them? Why would he say that? Well, you can make an argument, well, Jesus is just letting them know that he has authority over Satan that is from before and all that. I mean, you can make that argument, but think about the context. Does it really fit? Hmm. You know, by the way, it seems odd. This is going to throw a little ointment in some of your understanding of, like, the timeline of, like, Revelation and all of that stuff. Okay, so I'm, I'm walking on thin ice because I know that this is kind of a, a strange topic for some. Okay, so in, in some ways of thinking about the end of the world, people say Satan was tossed out of heaven before the, before the humans were created, right? But let me ask you this. So what was Satan doing back in heaven at the time of Job? Let it sink in for a second. Does Satan just get to, like, does he get a temporary key card to go back into heaven on occasion to talk about Job? Are you catching me? Let it sink in. Why do you believe what you believe about all the end times stuff that's out there in our culture right now? Like, there's this very complex, like, system out there about what happens at the end of the world. But let that sink in for a second. If Jesus is saying here, I saw Satan before humans were around get thrown out of heaven, if that's what he's saying, you have to answer two questions. Number one, how does that fit in with the context of Jesus talking to the 72? And number two, how does that fit in with Satan being back in heaven at the time of Job? oh, you don't hear that on the radio, you know. It, it, it doesn't, the radio doesn't like to talk about inconsistencies like that, right? There are lots of radio preachers out there preaching like 24-7 about the end times theology. But you guys think about it. All right, so that's the very first possibility. Jesus is saying, I saw Satan preexistent in heaven get thrown out of heaven. But let's look at the second explanation. 
Now, this might be one that you've never thought of because my guess is the first explanation that I just gave you is what you've always thought this meant because that's what we're kind of taught in the American church, that that's what that means. Let me give you another one, though. A second explanation might be that Jesus is referring to the present fall of Satan that both he and his disciples are bringing about because of their present ministry. So when I say present, I mean the time of Jesus, the present of this passage, okay? So, in other words, the fall of Satan is actually in process, in the process of happening during the ministry of Jesus and his followers. Now, this would mean that when Jesus said he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, he meant that Satan's fall right then was similar to a lightning bolt coming from heaven. Not that Satan fell out of heaven, but that Satan's fall, because of the the, the expounding of the kingdom of God in that moment, was so profound that it it was like a lightning bolt shooting from heaven. Now, my guess is you've never heard a possibility like that because you've always just assumed this was Satan getting cast out of heaven. Do you see that? Well... I'm trying to like expand your possible, your brain here. Like this is, I don't, I don't know. I find this very interesting. You probably are angry with me. I'm not sure. I'm seeing some, I'm sensing some, that's not right. So, okay, I'm, I'm saying possibilities. Okay, everybody? The point is, this makes sense contextually. Think about it. The 72 come back and they say, with joy, even the demons submit to us. And then Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven as you did your ministry. Do you see that? I am seeing the downfall of Satan's kingdom and the ushering in of the kingdom of God in the ministry that you are doing by going and showing and telling. Do you see that? Holy cow, that kind of makes sense contextually. Oh no! What do we do when it actually makes sense contextually? Well, we maybe have to rethink why we've always thought that meant some moment before humans. Do you see that? I'm trying to get you guys to think deeply about this. Now, there's a third possibility. A third explanation might be that Jesus is reporting to his followers a vision that he saw of Satan of the future. Well, does Jesus have visions? Well, Jesus was said to be a prophet, right? The prophets of the Old Testament had visions of the future, right? So if he really is a prophet, like the Old Testament prophets, he really might have visions of the future. Well, Jesus is God. Yeah, I know he's God. Even better. (laughs) I mean, why would we think he wouldn't have visions of the future? So in that case, what Jesus is saying is, I saw a vision of Satan being ultimately defeated and the kingdom of God winning completely, and you are part of that. Do you see that? It could be a vision of the future. And by the way, this makes sense to us when we think about the book of Revelation, right? Not revelations. Oh, that bothers me. I know you guys know this, but I'm telling you again, don't say revelations. There's no S on the end. It's just revelation. Pet peeve, sorry. Okay, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That 
could definitely be described as Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Right? So theoretically, Jesus could be talking about seeing the ultimate defeat of Satan and seeing that in the ministry of the 72. Again, it makes sense contextually. Of the three possibilities, the the present and the future make a lot more sense contextually than the pre-existent past one. Do you see that? Again, I'm not saying the first one's wrong. We don't know for sure. Which is it? And this is where it gets frustrating. I already told you. It's frustrating because we don't know. We don't know which one. And a lot of times when we don't know, it's very possible that all three might be somehow in mind. Luke has the ability through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and Jesus has the ability through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to mean more than one thing. (laughs) So, I think it might be some of all. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you really had to pin me down, I would say the first one is really questionable because it doesn't make sense contextually. All right. Well, this verse does fall into a special category for me. It falls in the category of questions I'm going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. Do you guys have a category like that? I know that sounds kind of like a cop-out, because you could totally just put every question in that category. That, I, don't, I think God gave us a brain, and he's given us 2,000 years of thinking and studying and reason and experience, and of course the Holy Spirit to help us interpret Scripture. All of that is true, but there are some things we just don't know for sure. I think this falls in that category for me. Someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this question. By the time I get there, the question is li- likely not going to matter. I get that. But that's where I'm at right now with this question. So, I, I don't know. I mean, Jesus really did exist in heaven before he became a human being. He did. In fact, we believe that Jesus is God, and one of the attributes of God is that God does not have a beginning. Therefore, Jesus would have been around before Satan, or before anything else for that matter. So, if Satan really was cast out of heaven before God created Adam and Eve. By the way, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that Satan was cast out of heaven before Adam and Eve? Where did that come from? If I asked you that right now, do you think you could prove that? Isn't that strange? It's just one of those beliefs we just think is rock solid. Where is that in Scripture? Well, it's in Isaiah. Well... There is a passage in Isaiah that talks about the king of Babylon being thrown down like a star from the sky. And if you take that passage and you say, well, that was Satan. Okay, that was kind of a big jump in logic right there. (laughs) Right? Why? Okay, I'm getting... All of the end time theology that is permeating our culture is oftentimes dangerous and not based in a whole lot of stuff. And by stuff, I mean scripture. The only stuff that actually is rock solid. Okay. So, let's move on. So, looking again at his full answer, look at starting in verse 18. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There is no doubt that Jesus has given authority to his followers. 
And that authority is authority to accomplish their mission to do what? Go, show, and tell. Jesus has given us authority to do that. He gave the 72 authority to do that. And by the way, that's us too. Remember the whole conversation two weeks ago about the 72 being the 72 nations and the mission going to the Gentiles? Remember all that? That's all foreshadowing by Luke to say it's not just the 72 who got this authority. We have this authority to go, show, and tell about the kingdom of God. And by the way, that authority includes the authority that Jesus says right here. We have been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of evil. What's up with the snakes and scorpions? I don't know, when's the last time you trampled on a scorpion? I mean, that seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Well, Jesus is actually using Old Testament, uh, it's it's like an analogy, it's Old Testament wordage. Snakes and scorpions stand for the evil powers of the world. So, I mean, the obvious example is the snake in the Garden of Eden, right? Represents Satan. That idea of snakes and scorpions goes all the way through the Old Testament and actually all the way into the New Testament and even in the book of Revelation. There's like some scorpion things in Revelation. Again, it's, a, it's like an analogy for the evil of the world. So let, let, me, let me just put this together. What Jesus is saying to the 72 and to us as we go show and tell the world, what he's saying is he has given us power and authority to defeat the evil in the world. I, I, I think I need to say that again. Because I think, I think we need to hear this right now. You and I have been given power and authority to defeat everything that is evil in this world. It is easy to forget that. Thank you for the amen. Think about that. Jesus is saying you have the power and the authority to defeat what is evil in this world. We are not powerless. We have the power to do it. And now look at verse 20. Look at the last verse. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So here's what's happening. After making sure that his followers recognize that he really has authority and they really have authority over the powers of evil, Jesus reminds them to keep their eyes in the right place. This idea of their names being written in heaven, it's it's a very important idea. I want to go back to the book of Revelation again. And only five verses later from the the, the verse I just read to you. This is only five verses later. Revelation twenty fifteen. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Yes. This is the same lake of fire that Satan was thrown into five verses earlier. In youth ministry, I, I did a sermon probably 10 years ago. The whole sermon, I just looked up every reference to the book of life in the Bible, Old Testament and New. There is a book in heaven where if you are a child of God, if you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ, your name is written in that book. 
It's there now. Kind of makes a difference that you make sure your name's in that one. Because if your name's not in that one, that verse is for you. That's not where you want to end up. I don't do a lot of hellfire brimstone preaching. But that's where you're going to be if the name's not in the book. Don't go there. Do you want people you know to go there? I don't think so. Maybe we should go and show and tell them about the victory we have in Jesus Christ and the breaking forth of the kingdom of God in this place, destroying the kingdom of Satan. Because that's Satan's ultimate landing spot, and that will be your ultimate landing spot if you don't get this thing right. That preaches. People have been preaching it for a while. But have you noticed that that message has been dulled in our country? That's crazy. Do you notice that Christians are hesitant to talk to other people about their faith? Because why? Do you understand you have been given authority and power by Jesus Christ himself to trample every snake and every scorpion and every evil thing? You have the power to do it. And this, back to, back to Luke chapter 10, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This moment right here when Jesus says that to his disciples is a moment of profound perspective. And this perspective, I would submit to you, is drastically important for this moment that we are facing right now. This moment that we are facing right now, when it seems like the pressures of everything around are so difficult that you just want to give up on your marriage. When it seems like the pressures of everything are so profound that you just want to quit your job. When it seems like the pressures of everything around you are so profound that you just want to hide I need to remind you of your perspective. Life is often difficult. We face trials and difficulties all the time. And the the battles that we face, the battles that we're in, sometimes seem like they're overwhelming. We sometimes feel powerless in, in the midst of it. But Jesus gave his followers power and authority to overcome these difficulties and to be victorious in these battles. In fact, the followers of Jesus have incredible spiritual power, even power to defeat demons. Praise God! This may be a word that you need to hear today, right now. You are likely fighting this battle. You're likely fighting some battles, probably more than one. My guess is that in here right now, there are a number of you that are fighting a battle against depression and anxiety, and you feel like you're drowning. Some of you are fighting a battle against grief. Some are fighting a battle against illness. 
or maybe even a battle against your neighbor. Everywhere you look, it feels like a battle, doesn't it? With the election and with COVID, with everything else. It just feels like everything is a battle and it feels like we don't have the resources to win. I'm here to tell you, straight from Scripture, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You and I have been given power and authority to trample all snakes and scorpions. And I think we need to be reminded of our perspective. <laughs> but that's not where we find joy. Joy is not to be found in the power and the authority that we have been given. Yes, we have power and authority to be victorious, but that's not where the joy is. And I think there's something profound here for us because we keep thinking that joy is contingent upon us winning the battle. That's not where joy comes from. Joy comes from keeping your perspective on the book of life. The book of life. Do you see what Jesus said here? I mean, the, the disciples were like, yes, we were successful. We, we, we went to these places and we showed them about the miracles and the power of the kingdom and we told them about the kingdom of God and even the demons submitted to us. And Jesus said, yes, the demons submitted to you because I've given you power and authority. But that's not where your joy comes from. Joy doesn't come from having a successful ministry. Joy doesn't come from doing everything right and from, from being successful in all that you do. Joy comes from having your name in the book of life. Our perspective has been wrong, church. Our perspective has been wrong. And that's why we keep searching for joy by, by searching for success, by searching for a victory, by searching for all of those things that We've been tasked to do, but that's not the source of our joy. Do you see that? There's a disconnect in what we've done here. It's like you keep chasing after, well, I've been given authority and power, but I don't have joy. When I... You've missed the point. The authority and power is not what brings you joy. The victory over the enemy is not what brings you joy. Joy comes from the recognition that our perspective is there. And we get to participate forever in the kingdom of God. It is from that perspective of joy that the power and the authority means something. Do you see how we've got it backwards? This is the key point. Joy is not found because we have power and authority over evil. Joy is found in the ultimate victory that we have over death itself. The profound secret of the kingdom of God. Victory looks a lot like death. <laughs> because death will be defeated. Where, O oh, death, is your power? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It's that perspective that gives us victory over all this stuff that we're in. And we need to be reminded, and we need to remind those around us 
who we are all feeling so down by all this stuff that's happening. I am here to remind you from the word of God. Joy is found in the book of life. We need to keep our eyes on that. When it's so easy to think that we just need to find our joy from winning this battle or that battle. Last Sunday, one of the things that my family was able to do uh, because we were able to be gone for the weekend is we, we stopped at a cemetery. And my aunt, my mom's twin sister, passed away a number of years ago. And through a whole bunch of reasons I'm not going to get into, we, we hadn't put a tombstone down for her. And so we decided that because we were going to go to this retreat, I was going to stop back through Brookings, we decided it was past time to put a tombstone down for my aunt. And so we did. And I had a moment, you know, this, this passage was in my brain because I was going to, I'm preaching on it, right? I had a moment when I was standing there, we're standing out there in the cold and we put the tombstone down. And, you know, I'm, I'm the, the family pastor, you know. By the way, that stinks when you're the pastor in the family. You always got to pray at Thanksgiving. So, you, you know, I'm, I'm there and I'm doing my pastor thing. And I had a profound moment. My aunt understands the joy that Jesus was talking about. And COVID and racial unrest and the election and all that stuff that is causing division has been swallowed up in victory. My perspective, your perspective, this is a perspective check. I, I mean, just the fact that this is the passage of Scripture that we're preaching on right now in the middle of all of this. That's what I love about expository preaching. You just get stuck going right through it. And every, you get... You get what you need. God brings you what you need. Our perspective has got to change. We've got to get our eyes, not on, not on the battle, not even on the authority we have to win the battle. Our perspective needs to be on who we are, who we are going to be. We have victory. So if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're angry, if you're depressed, if you feel so much anxiety that it's hard to wake up and get out of bed in the morning, know that you have the power and authority to defeat all of those things given to you by Jesus Christ, to go and show and tell. But know this even more, your joy doesn't come from that. Your joy comes from your understanding that you are in the book of life. That changes everything. This changes everything. Did you hear me? I said it changes everything when you realize this and your perspective is changed to the perspective that Jesus has given us. <laughs> and now the very end. I'm going to spend almost no time on this, but the very end of the passage, Luke 21, Luke chapter 10, verses 21. At, right after Jesus says this, Jesus says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit, said, 
I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Final question of the day. (laughs) Do you want to be full of joy through the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? Do you want to be full of joy through the Holy Spirit? The answer, I think, is probably yes. Those dumb rhetorical questions that pastors ask, and then you're like, should I say it out loud? I feel kind of weird. The answer is yes. I know. I can see it in your eyes. The dullness that was in your eyes at the beginning of this service has changed. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. There is joy to be had through the Holy Spirit by keeping your eyes, your perspective in the right place. And Jesus, as he says, he's God. And he makes known mysteries. Mysteries that people long ago would have, they longed to hear what I've just told you today. These mysteries that I've just told you, people for thousands of years before Jesus wanted nothing more than to hear what you've just heard today. The joy that is available to you and the power and authority that you already have, just didn't realize it, it's offered freely. It's all about perspective. (laughs) Keep your perspective right. Your Your names are written in the book. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've submitted your life to him, your names are in the book. (laughs) What does COVID have on that? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Jesus, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for the commissioning that you gave to the 72 and that same commissioning that flows through us and the authority and the power that you've given us to trample the evil of this world. But thank you more and give us the joy of the Holy Spirit as we remember to keep our perspective on the book of life. We desire to be a people who has their perspective in the right spot. Let us be reminded of all that we are because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.